Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And every week we seek to learn a little bit of something about absolutely anything. All with the help from experts and rather a lot of gin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Right. We have got Teresa Perez today. Good. And I think Teresa is not in this country. I know she's not in this country. I think she might be in South Africa at the moment. Mm -hmm. We'll ask her in a minute. Okay. Um, And Teresa is a research associate at the Royal Holloway University of London. She's going to talk to us about the work that she did as part of the Cambridge Circular Plastic Centre, because we're talking plastic waste. Wow, okay. Nice. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. She is talking to us about how has recycling come to be seen as the best way to reduce plastic waste in South Africa. Okay. And we're drinking a South African gin. Ooh! We have got a Cape Finbos gin. Have we ever had a South African gin? Yes, we have. We had the... um, Ivarosh in Varosh. Oh, yeah. You didn't like didn't it. didn't like it. But this one's clear, which I gives me hope. Like it. Because that one was an amber yeah. gin. But it had the Finboss, that big flower, as part of it. You know what you should just do? What? Pour a fucking glass of it. I think we should. But should we get Teresa in oh, yeah, okay, first and then pour a glass with her? Yeah, go on then. Okay. Manners and all. Right, we need gin then. Have you got yourself a gin? Yay! I certainly have. I was going to get a miniature, but they didn't have any, so oh, it's such a shame when that happens. A massive one. It's such yeah. a shame. I always find, you know, I just want a tiny <laughs> bit, but then I'm forced to buy a whole big Sarah Cruz. Yeah. Um, why have I got my everyday gin glass and not my gin and topic gin glass? Uh, because I was in a bit of a hurry. This is appalling. We're not keeping up the standards here. But it's okay because nobody can see. So tell us about Cape Finbos gin. Why are we drinking this? It's pronounced Fainbos. Ooh, Fainbos. Fainbos, yeah. And Fainbos, I had to ask my housemate this this morning. She's the one that originally brought brought me the gin. And it was a going away present when I moved from South Africa back to the UK in 2019. And it was just a miniature that I had. And I was saving it for like a special occasion. And like it travelled around. I think it might have even come back to South Africa, then gone back to the UK again. Anyway, I finally drank it. It was very delicious. But Fainbos is um, plants, no, vegetation that's indigenous to the Western Cape. So it's a particular part of South Africa where Cape Town and the surrounding province is. I mean, ideally... I should perhaps just read what's on the gym bottle. <laughs> that's um, that's pretty much our knowledge as well, is what we can see. Have you what have you mixed it with? We have just gone with a uh, a light tonic quarter. Excellent. Okay, none of that funny tonic. None of that funny tonic. Like, yeah. It's got an interesting you know there's Ooh. a sort of there's a I don't want to say a smell to it, that sounds bad, but it doesn't smell like a regular gin. There's a something there. I don't know. I'm not much for gin connoisseur. I'm more like, let me taste this. That tastes nice. Mm. Let me taste this. 
Oh, I don't like that as much. Oh, Ooh, that's my range. That's exactly our kind of gin tasting. Um, <laughs> we. What is? Hold on. Taste I it put for some me. Cucumber in mine. Because I'm going to say it yet again. Refresher sweets. Mm. Oh no way! Really? Yeah, like a refresher, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> Let me try some neat. Oh yeah, that is really mm. interesting, isn't it? It's definitely not a London Dry. No, can tell you that. Yeah, and it has a really funny smell, doesn't it? But which sounds bad. I'm not criticising its smell. It's not a bad smell. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> it's just a sn- smell I can't identify. Exactly. I can't smell it. Yeah, I got nothing. But I go wine tasting and they're like, ooh, but the fruits and the pear and the citrus. And I'm like, yeah, smells like wine to me. Like, you know, knock it back. Okay, so Feinbos is from the Dutch meaning fine-leaved plants, a biome of southern southern coastal South Africa, characterised by a diverse richness of endemic plant species, which I'm sure is exactly what I said earlier. It is. And on the uh, um, bottle here, I can see it says that it's deep and complex with herbal aromas, which must be what we're smelling, right? Yeah. Herbal yeah. aromas. Yeah. You described it as refreshers. Yeah. yeah. The sweets. Yeah. <laughs> Sherbet. Sherbety type, yeah. There's something sherbety about it. <laughs> All those um, UFO sweets. Ah, oh, the ones that fizz and melt the, in the yeah. middle. Sauces. Yeah. yeah, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. The only place I've found them is Greenwich Market, where you can still buy them in a tub and and weigh them out. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, that's why I think mm. these are flying saucers. Flying saucers. There you go. The if you like a flying saucer sweet, this is your gin. Mm. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> Like it. Did you put any lemon or anything in it? I put we... um, a, a wheel of cucumber Ooh. because we're in a bottle of Hendrix that we got given last Christmas. It had a, a thing that comes with it where you twist, 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 and it makes a curly thing from the cucumber Ooh. and you pop it in your uh, gin because we ran out of lemon. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. so much cooler than our little slice of that lime. We've got, we've got a slice of lime. But Ease, I like really. I like sort of using maybe a spiralizer to do spirals of Why things. Why did your whole body need to move when you said spiralizer? <laughs> <laughs> to put the point across, you can't you can't appreciate what a spiralizer no, is no. unless you've got the full body movement. <laughs> What's the topic, Sarah? Move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. We have good gin. The topic today is um, plastic waste. Yay! And how has recycling come to be seen as the best way to reduce plastic waste in South Africa? Uh, Anya and I are going to talk about what we think we know. This takes ages, takes so long. You might want to pour another gin whilst you listen to the wealth of our knowledge and learn something, you know. Obviously. Because, you know. Okay. So, um, plastic waste. And we're a big recycling household. We are a big recycling household. Yep. Um, Hard plastic versus the flimsy plastic. Can't always be recycled, the flimsy plastic. No, that's very, very true. Facts. But also quite a lot of things, you know, can't be recycled in your own home. Yes. And even when we do send them to recycling places, they quite often get 
sent to other good. countries and then dumped on beaches. And, and things end up in the ocean. And do. it's not good for the turtles or the dolphins no. or anything that lives no. in the sea, really. It's bad for them. It is. But what do we know about plastic recycling in South Africa? Um, Not a lot. Do they have a blue bin and a brown I, bin? You know what? I, funnily <laughs> enough, my master's course leader... Is South African. I never thought to say, hey, Sean, tell me about your recycling situation <laughs> well, in South I Africa. Know, I know how different recycling is at this house to your flat in Bristol to... How do you know that? Grandparents' When house. have we had that conversation? When have you ever had that conversation with me? N- no, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> you it's probably really. don't have the same coloured bins. There are purple ones in the next village. Okay, so your main contribution to this is to talk about the colour of the recycling bins colour that you've seen. Top bins. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be really helpful for everybody. <laughs> but there's so much difference in all the different counties in terms of what can be taken and how it is dealt with. There must so, be yeah. huge differences between here and South Africa. Have you ever been South Africa? No, I've wanted to. Okay, good. So we have like wine absolutely tasting. zero That's on South no, Africa. None. Excellent. None. Good. Never been. Well, full of educational facts there. <laughs> but yeah, we have we have nothing. No, we really don't. How has it come to be seen as the best way to reduce plastic waste? No idea. Advertising. Ooh. Stab in the dark, I'm guessing there. No idea. Could be could be lies. Could be. I couldn't think of any big South African. Maybe actors. they did a way yeah, that could be like a whole soap opera that then. A recycling soap opera. Yeah. You think that's going to get ratings? Might do. Okay. Well. <laughs> I love Teresa's face. For our listeners, can we just say that we turned having, you know, put all of our knowledge out there, yeah. we turned to face Teresa and she has this pensive look. On her face of just, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, no. I don't know where to start. Okay, okay. so so the drawing the parallel with the UK and South Africa, that's something that um, I've also had sort of a, a toe in both worlds. Um, and you're right that it does vary from region to region, but I would like to give a shout-out to Cambridgeshire um, Collection Authority, that they all their waste is, last time I was working with them anyway, that all their waste is actually processed in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I know that there have been lots of documentaries and like the war on waste that was on mm. BBC where they exposed all the stuff to do with um, being shipped abroad. Um, but yeah. However, I can have some sympathy with authorities that are doing that because the processing of waste is um, expensive. Mm especially if you have waste that can't be recycled. So one of the main things to do with plastic recycling and processing is trying to narrow down the number of types of packaging that you have. So it's just recyclable packaging that's being produced. Then you have those processes to manage it all in a country Mm. um, rather than shipping it abroad um, Mm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the colour bins. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have different different coloured bins um, in South Africa. Well, there is no sort of unified recycling across South Africa. It varies from region to region in a similar way that it does in the UK. Except there is largely no municipal or government 
run recycling provided it's quite patchy and my work has mostly been in Cape Town so that may have changed in other provinces but certainly in Cape Town it's mostly um if you want to recycle then there are drop-off sites so mm. you can keep it in in your house and then you can drive it to the drop-off site and they will sort it all for you and then sell it. So it's super reliant on individuals to be doing it because mm. at least here it's really, I think anyway, and shame on anyone who doesn't think this, it's really easy to put all your stuff in recycling. But that really relies on you to make the effort to go out of your way to drop it off. It relies on you having a vehicle. Yeah. It relies on you having space in your home to store things and all your packaging. Um, and it, yeah, it relies on you thinking that that's an important enough thing to do and how to spend your time. Um, so for um, other parts, of, so obviously there's a divide between sort of more formal housing structures and then township housing, which is often very tight packed together. So you don't have a truck that comes down your street. There has to be a different arrangement because trucks can't pass by all those um, small alleys. So for some, there is a truck that comes through and you can have a bin, but there isn't a recycling bin alongside it. So most of the waste um, at the moment goes to landfill, although um, there is a relatively good recycling rate for some plastics. Um, but that mostly relies on informal workers so 70% of all the plastic that's recycled mm. in South Africa comes from people who work informally. Um, sometimes they're called reclaimers, sometimes they're called waste pickers. In the US, it would be, if you imagine, people who are dumpster divers. So it's people who are actually going through the waste, either at landfill or once your bin has been put out, and then collecting plastic, cardboard, glass, and then selling it to a buyback centre. The buyback centre then sell it to a large-scale recycler. So there's these different actors mm. involved and the people at the very bottom um, who are the waste pickers are the ones who earn the least. So you would mm. need to collect about 300 plastic bottles, depending on how big they are, to earn enough to buy a loaf of bread. If your loaf of bread costs 65p, that would, you'd need to collect 300 bottles. Wow. So for some people, wow. it's like, well, that's not really worth it. I'd rather collect glass yeah. or metal or things that, that are worth Have more, more value. Mm. Exactly. Yep. So despite the issues, yep. it's still become... Very, yeah, quite low value. Even the highest value, which is PET, which is a plastic bottle, is still low value. And the, the value that you get from it fluctuates with the price of oil because sometimes it's cheaper to make mm -hmm. things from virgin plastic than it is to make it from recycled plastic. So then manufacturers don't want to buy recycled plastic, then they don't want to buy from the buyback centre, then the buyback centre doesn't want mm -hmm. to buy from the informal reclaimer. So the reason why recycling is so popular is because it's been linked to job creation. So one of the reasons why the plastic industry is able to say, don't impose restrictions 
we can so in other countries there have been bans and yeah. and other things mm. to do with making targets to do with how much recycled content must be in plastic or how much must be recyclable and we do have those targets now but that legislation is very very recent um and the industry is able to do that because it generally talks about plastic not in simple terms so they don't say well you need to collect 300 plastic bottles for a loaf of bread. Instead, they'll say we've increased uh, reclaiming from 10,000 tonnes to 90,000 tonnes, which doesn't really mean anything to a great deal of people. But they will say we're, you know, there's a levy on plastic and we're using that to generate demand from recycled plastic, Mm. for recycled plastic rather, Um, and so we can regulate ourselves um, and we are using recycling to create jobs. Mm-hmm. But the other reason why recycling is really popular is because there's this global move towards the circular economy, mm-hmm. which is a posh word for, you know, take a drinks bottle and then ultimately it should become another drinks bottle. And then when you finish with it, it should become another drinks bottle or become so you never have any waste. So it's not a case of having something and throwing it away. You see plastic as a resource um, that has value. But as I've said, the value of plastic, unless you actually have a polluter pays principle where Sorry, a what? Plastic, a polluter a pays pl- principle. Yeah, the Got polluter you. pays principle, which is um, usually referred to ex- as extended re- extended producer responsibility. I love it. But, love it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a convoluted way of saying the polluter must pay. Yeah. But what the industry have done is they've positioned plastic as waste, which means we don't think of it as pollution. Yeah. Well, until. Things like, you know, I mean, obviously that thinking has has changed. But if you think of it as a resource um, that isn't to be wasted, that has the potential to create jobs, that should be valued, that's incredibly useful, um, then you can control the narrative and how people think. And if you go to the government and say, actually, if you put a ban on plastic bags or you put a ban on single-use plastic, then it's going to cost you jobs then in the South African context, that's disastrous because waste is like way, way, way down on what people think about, especially in the context of South Africa where unemployment's very high. As we said, we know uh, plastic recycling from our own perspective, which is we, you know, if we've bought something that has plastic packaging, then we can just put it in a bin and somebody comes collect it and takes it away. But there is still that mentality that it is rubbish um, and it is, it goes, the good thing is to put that rubbish into a recycling bin so it gets recycled so you can feel better about it. And that actually we think it, it other companies should be changing the plastic packaging so we didn't have to mm. put it in the right bin. So yours, I think what I'm hearing is in South Africa, there's, the change of the mindset to not think about that as rubbish that needs recycling, but to think about it as um, it's sort of um, something that shouldn't be thrown away, that has to be recycled and that it is then product that goes into other people's jobs and therefore has more value, even if the value of the plastic isn't that much. (laughs) 
Is that right? And it's also, that is right. And it's seen as waste in general, this waste that's going to landfill that could be recycled is seen as like a wasted opportunity. Mm. So there are predictions that are made about if we didn't, if we save that resource, those resources that we're now throwing away and actually processed them and had a market for them, um, then that would create jobs. So it's not, and that isn't that that isn't true. It could do, but the way the system is set up at the moment, that makes it really difficult for people at the bottom of the value chain, for those waste pickers to get beyond just a subsistence level of, of earning money from mm. plastic waste. So I suppose what I'm saying in the paper is that I think the figures to do with job creation um, are potentially exaggerated somewhat, and that benefits the plastic industry. And it it bolsters their position when they're lobbying government to not impose further sanctions or restrictions on the production of plastic. Yeah. Okay, so the mindset is more of... (sighs) marketing bollocks that's <laughs> making it out to seem better but actually down on the ground it's not so re- much yeah the system at the moment relies on um voluntary work essentially because you've got people who are remunerated for the plastic but they're not remunerated for their time yeah and the work that they're doing doesn't constitute decent work so yeah. plastic w- Plastic waste creates a huge amount of work, but it's not decent work. And by decent work, I mean um, where you're paid a fair amount, where your working conditions are above a certain level and satisfactory, where you have protective clothing, you know, all of those things. You've you've got a system that relies on really awful working conditions and people being exploited. And so it, it, it is reducing the plastic waste. But yeah. we're through exploitation of lowly workers on low pay. Exactly. But they're not in a formal employment relationship. It's individuals who, well, it varies. So some people, they are part of maybe a collective. So in other parts of the world, like Uruguay and India, there are um, recycling cooperatives. Mm. And those are people who may have started off as informal collectors but have then collectivised and worked together to bargain with companies to get a better price or they tender for government contracts to actually offer a recycling service. Whereas in Cape Town, certainly, that that doesn't happen. So waste picking at landfill isn't allowed. So then you have individuals who collect from household bins but because you need such large volumes mm. to make any amount of money from it, it's largely ignored. So most of the plastic that's actually getting recycled is from other parts of the country where people can pick from landfill, and then you get that enormous amount. Right. So to help you visualise, it's the project that we had in, at Elevaqueni Church, which is um, in a township called Crossroads in Cape Town. So I had money for a shipping container and to publicise a recycling project. Um, And 
the idea was that the shipping container would be based at the church. People would come each week and drop off their recyclables and then we'd store it in the shipping container and then sell it, um, which we did for the first month, but then COVID. Um, so based on just that first month of collections, and it wasn't just plastic, because we know plastic's quite low value, so plastic, paper, um, cans and glass and that whole six meter shipping container filled we earned 10 pounds no 15 pounds sorry 15 pounds wow. so it's not like you need tons and tons and tons and tons yeah. and you need space for that so yeah. ultimately um the person I was working with Reverend Rachel Mash who's absolutely fantastic she is the environmental coordinator for the church in southern africa the idea was that if the recycling scheme worked and was viable then she could then help implement it at different churches uh, across different townships and then we would reduce the leakage of plastic waste into the ocean yay uh, however it just wasn't viable we even mm. with a congregation of volunteers who weren't expecting to be paid. We never set it up as a job creation scheme because I knew how, how little we would get. Um, but if we were going to pay them just from the sale of those recyclables, then they would earn 50p an hour, which is half the minimum wage in South Africa. And it's, it's not a matter of like, oh, well, 50p will get you a, a long way in Cape Town. It won't. Things are expensive here. Food is expensive. Mm. That's not a living wage. So it would take, I think we worked it out, it would take 13 years to pay back the cost of the shipping container. Wow. If we collected that every month. Yeah. yeah. So if we want to condense it down and say, okay, let's pay back the cost of the shipping container in three years, then we would have to collect that much every week. Mm. But then if you're collecting all of that plastic and all of that packaging, you're then expecting there to be an increase in consumption or you're then sort of mm. feeding the consumption mm. of you know fizzy drinks which come mm. in plastic bottles yeah mm. it's i think yeah the industry has made a lot of you know you can grow a recycling scheme you can become a small enterprise we've got support for you if you can show that there's you know, a growth trajectory from your business, then we'll give you a baler so that you can bail up the bottles because otherwise you're just transporting a lot of air. Mm. So that's part of the work is involved. It's not just collecting the bottles. To get the best price, you have to segregate it by colour. You have to take the tops off. You have to crush it so that you can fit it all in and it's not taking up so much space. Mm. That's all work. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you are going to pay people... It's that's 50p an hour. Yeah. Mm. And so there is the perception that there is work here and that you can have the bailers and other support to be able to set set yourself up as a recycler. But the reality of it is just a lot of work for no money at all. Yeah. And it's really difficult to get people who are willing to come into a township and collect the recyclables from you. So there are very few buyback centres that we approached that would actually come and collect. Or if they did, they had conditions that it had to be over 300 tonnes or something. I can't remember the exact. It had to be a lot more. And we at that point, we're only starting out, so we couldn't guarantee how much it would be each month. But it was 
it was too much. Or they say, oh, no, we only do household collection or um, we only do a particular type of um, material. And we, So there's all these reasons. But for some people, they were like, we're going to get, it's not safe for us yeah. to drive into the township area. We don't want to put our cars and our people there. But yeah. those sorts of things don't really, like the fear of crime and the lack of buyback centres doesn't really come into any debates about recycling and how, you know, it's it's not the solution to plastic waste. It's one solution, but it's not the solution. Mm. And so, again, as you said, there's then a huge disparity between all the different areas as to how much they can recycle. Yeah, and in some in the township areas where there's shacks that are tightly packed together, they don't have a bin, they're given plastic bags and then they're expected to carry the plastic bag when it's full to a nearby shipping container and then that is emptied. However, um, walking your stuff from your shack to the shipping container sometimes isn't safe, so it becomes easier to put it in the nearest waterway. But then township residents get labelled as, oh, they don't understand about the environmental consequences. And, you know, there's people downstream who are, you know, doing river and beach cleanups and things like that, not really understanding how difficult it is to dispose of your waste safely in the context of a township where you don't have a bin or you don't necessarily have a regular collection. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean... Just thinking about the comparisons from the UK to South Africa, you know, we can sit here all lazily content in our ability to put things in a bin in the kitchen and then take them outside and empty it into a wheelie bin. I mean, occasionally you you will get a roar from Sarah that somebody's put the wrong thing (laughs) in the wrong one, but that's the only thing you have to face. It's not that bad. You're not that scary, I'm afraid. No. No. As much as I try. How do you decide what goes in what bin? Do you have a leaflet from your council that tells well, you? And well, that, and that's the difference between all the different councils is, yeah, leaflet as to what you can put into it. And if you... That somebody's memorised item for item, just in case. Well, because I remember when we first moved here, they didn't take everything. So we had all the different bins outside for mm-hmm. the glass and the paper and the cardboard, which they didn't... I yeah. know, plastic, I think it was as well, which they didn't take. Yeah. And then we'd put that into the car and drive it to the recycling to take it. But now you can just put it all in the bin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that will all be taken. But we can sit there and go, oh, well, it's, it's easy to recycle because everything's there, you know. But we're No not one's trying to South stab Africa. you on your way to the bin. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, the worst you're going to get is stepping in some horse poo. Yeah. It's danger. (laughs) But a very different type. Which brings us on to organic waste. Excellent. (laughs) So is there there a glimmer of hope at all for plastic and reduction of plastic in South Africa then? Because as you were saying, you know, with with the recycling and considering it to be job creation, you're kind of fueling the production of plastic as well to then be recycled. Is there a glimmer of hope for reducing plastic in its entirety? Yeah, I think, I mean, the so it, obviously it depends on government policy as to how much and what is or isn't produced. And there was new legislation passed last year that does give specific targets 
um, for industry to work towards. But there's also voluntary targets that are set as part of the Plastics Pact. I don't know. So there's an organisation called RAP in the UK and they have... um, So there's different countries that are part of the Plastics Pact. And in each country, it's a combination of businesses, governments, environmental organisations, all working together to work out. And they set their own targets in each country. So for South Africa, it's to have 70% of plastic packaging to be recycled um, and 30% of recycled content in all plastic packaging Um, and that's by 2025 and to make 100% of plastic reusable recyclable or compostable although the compostable thing is also another can of worms because people and this is in both South Africa and the UK you have a plastic substance that says it's compostable or biodegradable um, and then people end up still putting it in the recycling Mm. bin Mm. which then contaminates the recycling Mm. and then means that none of that bin can then be recycled. So it should go in the regular waste Mm. bin, but it's, it's just confusing. And it's not, we're not entirely sure what compostable actually means because for some material that says it's compostable plastic, it just means it breaks down into microplastic quicker. So that isn't necessarily reducing plastic pollution it's just making it less visible quicker. Yeah. So not quite the same thing, but there we are. No. But there is there are there are materials being developed, but I don't think we're at the stage yet, as far as I know, um, where something is, you know, fully that you could put it on your compost heap and you you know, it would just be like a leaf or another piece of, mm. you know, another piece of organic material. But there is work being done on that because I think that's ultimately what consumers want. It's mm. the convenience mm. of plastic, but not the pollution of plastic. Yeah. And the difficulty for mm. a consumer is to be able to tell the difference, as you say, because quite often, you know, with the plastics that are compostable, they don't always have a very clear compostable sign. Mm. So you might put it in the plastic recycling thinking it's plastic. The same with plastic and not necessarily knowing whether it's recyclable plastic or landfill Mm -hmm. plastic it it can be really hard to see and know what to do with yeah so but ideally as long as it goes in a bin and not near a bin or drifting along the street um so for some bins that i walk past in the uk and they're like after a festival you know you'd see a bin stuffed full and then there'd be waste and, and rubbish around it as if it would migrate into the bin eventually um, and then that all goes into the environment. So first prize is in the right bin. Second prize is in any bin um, so that it's not drifting around. Yeah. But then for some councils, the actual main problem isn't plastic. It's things like textiles and food waste. Mm. So that some councils are doing really well on plastic reduction or plastic recycling and hitting their targets. Um but people keep putting textiles in the recycling bin and then that contaminates. And then it also gets stuck in the machinery as well. Mm. So that was a problem when I was working in Cambridge. Mm. So tell me about when you were working in Cambridge and South Africa, what's what's the link for you 
for the tea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Obviously so, the weather. They have incredibly similar climates. <laughs> <laughs> They're both hugely unequal places. Um, <laughs> I started off looking at waste management and work. I actually worked as a waste picker, so as a dumpster diver, once a week for a year as part of my PhD. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I ended up working on a climate change project. And then I, as I say, hence the gin, relocated back to the UK, because this was the present. Um, And then got a job at the Cambridge Circular Plastic Centre that had been newly formed. And it was a government response to, right, we need some really quick solutions to reducing reducing plastic pollution. So I joined the team initially just on a three-month contract, um, but then I applied for my own funding from Global Challenges Research Funding to do this project in Cape Town, which sort of links to the aims of the centre at Cambridge to reduce plastic and tackle plastic pollution, um, but was also sort of its own project that sort of own freestanding project as well Mm. but linked to my previous work on waste and waste management waste minimization in Cape Town Mm. and so you've been involved in plastic waste for a few years what are the changes that you've seen (laughs) um the I suppose the I'm surprised that the popularity of it as a topic hasn't seemed to have waned Mm. um for some issues there's you know an initial interest and you have um the David Attenborough effect and there's a an initial buzz energy around an issue and then it it dissipates after a while and I think with plastic it really hasn't and I think that's because industry has taken it relatively seriously in terms of supermarkets, and obviously I'm talking specifically about plastic packaging as opposed to, you know, plastic caused by ghost fishing or other things. But for supermarkets, they they have taken it seriously and consumers have taken it seriously. Um, and there's been a concerted and sustained effort for different groups to work together who aren't always on the same page, but they still work together. So that plastic pact, I think, has done really well to keep momentum and to increase the number of members that it has from different groups. And Mm. it's not small ones. It's like Coca-Cola, Unilever. So the big names are are on board. Yeah. But the, yeah, I guess the bad news is that the petrochemical industry is expanding rather than contracting. So. I wonder whether like, with South Africa and the sort of branding of recycling being job creation and a good thing and therefore the thing to do. A lot of things now in the UK as well with plastic is that it has to be reusable. So a drinks bottle is fine because it is reusable. So it ticks that box Mm -hmm. even though it's actually going to be put into a bin and is just waste. Another way of saying it is you could be fed up with greenwashing mm, and yeah. that this image of environmental credentials that some companies claim to have and then you're not really sure of the legitimacy or validity of the claims that they make. So they might be marketing it as a 
way to be more sustainable as part of their circular business model. But in actual fact, it's just cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one of my favourite questions, which is, so if you were in charge of all the world's recycling, imagine you're this amazing ruler who can just do whatever you like, what would you implement? Um, yeah, I'd implement a polluter pays principle, mm-hmm. which means that it's not governments that are paying for recycling. It's the producers of the material. Mm-hmm. And then once you make plastic a less economically viable choice then it becomes a lot less attractive to businesses to produce it and then yeah that's yeah it comes down to the money mm-hmm. I listened to your podcast on gender equality and that was also the bottom line it's like money always <laughs> always <laughs> the money. bottom line always yeah. the money always <laughs> yeah yeah. And from other podcasts that we've learned, actually, if the public got up and demanded mm-hmm. that we have a polluter pay, then we could make something happen. Yeah. It, 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 that relies on people making the connection between their bottle, a Coke bottle and pollution, which is quite a few steps removed. I guess that's what shifted over the past couple of years. It's like changing how we see plastic or actually even seeing plastic. Mm. I think we've come to the point where we can answer this question of plastic pollution and how has recycling become, or uh, what was our exact, (laughs) how has recycling come to be seen as the best way to reduce plastic waste in South Africa? Mm -hmm. And I think... You know, even though at the beginning we were saying about the differences between the UK and South Africa, actually, I think it's pretty much similar worldwide that recycling has become to to be seen as the solution for everyone. Yeah. Because it is what we can do with this thing and we can make Are we jobs. back to my favourite thing where I get to say, while individual work is great... It's the big companies we want to hear shit from yet again. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) But really, we need to be looking at plastic as a pollutant. Yeah. And not recycling it, but But not producing it in the first place. Because we have got to do the what have we learned section still. Yeah. We're going to do that without your headphones. But I think we have been able to answer (laughs) the question. So we can relinquish Teresa to have another gin. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. No worries. Do you want another fine boss? I'm good, thank fine you. Boss. Fine, 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 fine boss. Now you sound fine. like a little leprechaun. Okay, let's stop. Oh. Okay, plastic waste. Yes. It's pretty shit. It's shit. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't, but that is how... It's been made to look good. Yeah, so recycling, brilliant. We recycle it. And that doesn't mean don't keep recycling no. any South Africans Gotta who are listening. It. Please well, do. And the UK. Yeah. The benefit we've got here is we have lots of recycling companies and a lot of them, like Cambridgeshire, big up Cambridgeshire. Um, We're the, always doing that. We should probably big up some other places for well, a while. Well, I'm sure there are others we need to find out. <laughs> and for those that keep it in the UK and recycle it properly, brilliant. Yeah. 
really, really good. But there are lots that are not recycling properly, sending it to other company countries and saying it's your problem. Yeah. Or like South Africa, where you have to co- collect a, a fuck ton of plastic once again for a loaf of bread. I know. And once again, our main point of the episode is individual stuff is great, but big companies, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And if we could have a polluter pays rather than recycling companies, individuals, uh, countries, governments, then things would be better. Be much, much better. So Coca-Cola, if you're listening, (laughs) sure you listen to every episode. (laughs) Yeah. Just pay for it. Yeah. And follow that money and we could stop with the recycling, stop with the production, or at least get the recycling paid for by the right people. So there we go. Jen. I'm not sure I'd have it all the time, but I enjoyed it. Mm. It's a gin for a particular occasion, probably being in South Africa in the heat. Yeah, maybe that's what it needs. Heat. Warmth. South African sunshine. I'm just going to wrap my blanket hoodie a bit tight around myself. I hope you enjoyed that little episode. You got to the end, so hopefully you did. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Well done. If you'd like more content from us... You can follow us on Instagram. You can. And you'll also find our chief gin taster, the gin monkey, with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series. Go on to Instagram, so it's worth following. Yeah, yeah. Topic gin. Topic gin. Same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. Send us a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com if you click subscribe as well that would be really handy reviews Whole host tell of people stuff for you to do and we'll be back next week with another episode i know and another guest and another gin yay <laughs> and don't forget to join me and emma in our tasting room on sunday and she can tell us all about the gin 